0: Hey, everyone. This is your host, Alec Mohibian, with a little message before we get started. I'm very excited to have David Thompson back on the show for a two-part episode. Part two will only be available to the subscribers who make this show possible uh, by becoming patrons on Patreon patreon.com slash filthy armenian so if this episode touches you or if any episode has touched you please consider putting a little bit of money where your soul is it's only five dollars a month or even less if you get an annual subscription at patreon.com slash filthy armenian you'll get access to part two and uh, about 50 percent of the episodes um in the past and in the future so thank you for listening and enjoy the show there's three times in a man's life
1: when he has a right to yell at the moon when he marries when his children come and, and when he finishes a job he had to be crazy to start
0: You're listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures. This evening we return to the desk of the Kino seer, the Cinematologist, the Cinehistorian, the Celluloid Sinner, the Silver Lightsmith, the picture prospector, the foreign policy realist, the black and white supremacist, the cinecritic, the companion, my favorite author and thinker about the movies of all time, David Thompson. david thompson is the author most famously of the biographical dictionary of film which is one of the great tomes of love and argument ever published the shrewd man always has room by his toilet for david thompson's biographical dictionary of film you can open it anywhere at any time find an entry about a star or a director or a writer or a producer and converse with it it is like finding a thomas guide to a magical country called movie land A hundred-year-old nation that consists only of movies, and the words said about them. Movie Land used to be an empire, but it lost its way. Nobody agrees exactly when it lost its way, but nobody disagrees its way is lost. Its exports are still consumed widely, but seldom are they consumed with the same gratitude and passion as they used to be. Movieland used to practice a diplomacy of romance. But for a while now, beauty and thrill have given way to more hawkish approaches. And where audiences used to be enticed with salacious campaigns for provocative subject matter, they are now threatened to watch this movie or you're a bad person. A censorship code governs movie land more extreme than any it has ever known, and it's all the more draconian for being unwritten. Meanwhile, the competing superpower of Techland has created synthetic microchip versions of movies that are much more addictive than their 90-minute or 30-minute models, despite being more primitive... TikTok vids resemble nothing so much as Nickelodeon fare from the earliest days of Movieland, but since their screen is the palm of your hand, and they're so fast and free and forgettable, you can't stop chain-scrolling long enough to watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre. The mass addictions created by Techland are being interpreted by some people as evolutions of human nature that make Movieland obsolete. An empire of a dead age on the verge of ruin— But that doesn't change the fact we are all creatures of movie land. All of us. Unless you grew up in a bunker and your parents are weird. But even then, they probably learned about bunkers and being weird from movie land. We are all creatures of movie land. That's where we got the machinery of our dreams and the language of our memories. Nobody knows what memories were like before movies. Nobody knows what dreams looked like before movies. Nobody knows What desire felt like before movie land. We can only guess. Like it or not, we are made by movies. We are movie land people. Our souls are downstream from the moving image moving. We can bitch about it all we want. We can decry it and bemoan it till the cows come home to Kansas. But we can't unflash that bulb. So when people talk about the death of cinema, my ears don't stop at cinema. I hear a lot of other things dying in that death. When something you love is dying, the answer isn't to love it less. You gotta love it twice as much. And that's what David Thompson has done with his just-completed trilogy of novels about the distinctly American movie land, genre provinces of the noir, the western, and the screwball comedy. The first novel, published in 1985, is called Suspects. On the surface, it looks like a cute elaboration of the biographical dictionary where instead of entries on real people who make and appear in movies, the entries are about fictional movie characters. Jake Giddies, Noah Cross, Norma Desmond, Jack Torrance, Charles Foster Kane, Laura Hunt, many, many more. From the genre of crime and corruption and suspicious detective heroism, of stiletto heels and stiletto wit, lipstick traces that lead all the way to the top. Thompson writes of these characters as if they were real people. People whose lives began long before their movie story, and in many cases, continued long after. Off the screen, and on David's page, these movie characters crisscross into each other's destinies. And the biographer, their narrator, turns out to be one of them. But also one of us. Like us, he sympathizes with even the most evil characters on that screen. But unlike us... He narrates that troubling sympathy. Says things like on Lolita, I am not put off or shocked just because an older man, far older, should see and want to touch the firm, innocent beauty of a rosebud. No, and not surprised either that after bloom the rosebud falls away and there is as little left as there is on the blank page at the end of a book or a pale screen after a show. Says things like on Chinatown, but I'm not sure Noah Cross could have done it if his daughter had not, even secretly, been consenting. With something of Spoon River anthology and a lot of Borgesian puzzle, Suspect examines the shadowy bridges between seat and screen, between dream and self, between actor and character and viewer. Do the black and white bridges of noir hold up to such scrutiny? Can they bear being stretched to their logical conclusions? Is film noir a figment of an old and expired age, a love child of Great Depression and post-war PTSD, from which it offered a tantalizingly narrow, hard-boiled path of escape? Or is it a dreamscape and mythology that continues to enchant us and maybe will forever? and not just in the technical sense of streaming platforms adopting a discount noir cinematography style in all their trashy content, because apparently Zoomers can't handle too much light. These questions loom over suspects and the wide range of movies it invites you to return to or to explore for the first time, from all the 1940s classics all the way up to 1980 movies like The Shining and Body Heat and American Gigolo, with some stops in between that nobody but David Thompson would consider noir. There is something about noir, even just the word, that to this day triggers the heterosexual man into a poetic mood.
1: You know why you couldn't figure this one, Keys? I'll tell you. Because the guy you were looking for was too close. Right across the desk from you. Closer than that, Walter. (laughs) I love you too.
0: Now for the Western. A dated, old-fashioned genre hasn't really been popular for decades. Even when a Western has been popular in recent times, like one of Tarantino's, it's been as a period piece, an exception that proves the rule that Westerns are of the past. Courage, individualism, comradeship, ownership are not exactly values we are allowed to celebrate anymore. Even people who claim to prize those values today are mostly faking it on the computer until their wives come home from work. Cowboys and Indians, tearless frontier women, lassos, horses, do not have room to spar in a culture that venerates herd feelings. But there is one aspect of the Western that makes it more real than any other genre of golden age movie land, and that is the West. The West is still here can still be wild, and just when you think it's run out of treasure, some new kind of pioneer comes along and makes you scream, Eureka! I screamed Eureka many times when reading Silver Light, and not just because she was cleaning my apartment. Silver Light is the second novel in David Thompson's trilogy. Quote to Jacket, Silver Light redraws the American West from its late 19th century heyday to its early 20th century decline into pipe dream and legend, with an extraordinary mix of history, fiction, and the fabricated realities of film, end quote. Silverlight begins in 1950, and it centers on two old characters who are relics of the Old West, but whose life stories and whose photographs are in high demand. When a young curator shows up to try and get her hands on those tales and images, a time-bending narrative takes us all the way back to and from 1870, where we find out what happened to the characters portrayed by Montgomery Clift and John Wayne and Walter Brenna after the ending of the all-time Howard Hawks western classic Red River. And from there, all kinds of trails diverge and converge in and out of movies and legends and factual history and David Thompson's literary imagination. When you read Silverlight. You will feel the wind of the West blow through your lungs, and it's a very purifying sort of wind, evoking vivid portraits of ambition, solitude, interpersonal prophecy, philosophical womanizing, lust for liberty, competitive fatherhood, desert superstition, finding last strength as you lose your grip, and the special introduction of delusion and self-doubt that came with the discovery of the photographic image by way of light on silver making Narcissus of us all. But all of the critical questions and concerns about the hazards of that moving picture version of reality becoming the official record are addressed and redeemed by the artistic achievement of the novel itself. In Silverlight, the characters drawn from the movies are no less real than anyone else. So he labored to maintain a true openness to all things. He read everything. He kept up so his heart might burst, and he talked to strangers. With his two children above all, he showed a youthful appetite for ideas, events, phenomena, and prospects which he believed was the most educational influence he could have on them. His son was still very moved by it, though Sally was shrewd enough to see how tiring and how manipulative it was. Which is not to say she was unmoved, But she was older, and aware that a parent who needs the child's admiration has enough of the lost soul for the wise child to keep a distance.
1: What a beautiful river And I haven't seen your face Just a tiny person
0: came from. I quote it because it's about one of my favorite characters in the novel named James Averill, who I didn't know was inspired by Michael Chimineau's Heaven's Gate, because I still haven't seen that movie. And while I recommend watching Red River to get the most out of Silver Light, you don't have to know it or any of the other films informing it to enjoy the adventure. Silver Light was published in 1991, but it says a lot that when reading it, and also suspects, you have no idea when it was written which is a far cry from this paragraph from an essay David wrote after the death of John Lennon, where he said, quote, we are mad for stars because photography and the other media have blessed them with appearance without substance. It is living without friction or decay. That's how anyone in a picture is poised between life and death. We call it being lifelike and we treat it as a way into immortality. You can tell that was written in a long-ago time when stars and star culture and guilty feelings about it still mattered. Critics always used to question how much the movies are dehumanizing us. Well, they don't dehumanize us anymore. They lost that job forever. That big-screen offer of immortality for the price of substance is off the table, and everyone kind of misses it. Because the new stuff takes your humanity without giving you even a flickering illusion of immortality. But here's the good news. You can find an alternate path to that lost immortality. Suspects in Silverlight show the way. And unlike the path of being a casual moviegoer in the golden century of cinema, this one involves bringing your own substance to the theater embracing friction, observing decay, projecting our knowledge that the stars were fragile and falling the entire time. We can gaze at them now more actively, catch them with our hearts, and with new mental vigor, maybe we can raise them back up again. When something is dying, there's an opportunity to love it twice as much. To draw as much reality as you can from its world of imaginary, as David does in Suspects. To venture as deep as you can from the facts of its history into the realm of the mythical, as David does in Silver Light. A novel truly worthy of one of its many characters, Willa Cather. And then to wonder, if you're a lunatic for trying all this, if you're bonkers, not so loco in the cabeza, daft, kooky, mad as hell for refusing to give up the dream, as David does in the final novel of the trilogy, published just last month, called Connecticut, connect I cut about the world of screwball comedy, the world of bringing up baby, Philadelphia Story, His Girl Friday, My Man Godfrey, Sullivan's Travels, Lady Eve, in many ways the dreamiest of dream worlds ever to be pioneered by movie land, the most endlessly charming and attractive. Insanity is not a right. It's a privilege that must be earned. Been seeing me in your dreams? Oh, no, Mama doesn't dream about you anymore, Waller. You wouldn't know the old girl now. Ah, uh,
1: yes, I would. I'd know you any time, any place.
0: anywhere. Ah, oh, you're repeating yourself, Waller. That's the speech you made the night you proposed. Yeah, I
1: know that you still remember
0: it. Of course I remember it. If I didn't remember it, I wouldn't have divorced you.
1: Yeah, so I wish you hadn't done that, Hildy.
0: Done
1: what? Divorce me. Makes a father lose all faith in himself. Gives him a... Almost gives him a feeling he wasn't wanted. Oh,
0: now, look, Junior, that's what divorces are for.
1: Nonsense. You've got an old-fashioned idea. Divorce is something that lasts forever. Till death do us part. Why, divorce doesn't mean anything nowadays, Hildy. Just a few words. Mumbled over you by a judge.
0: Last year, I visited David Thompson for a landmark episode with the quest of finding an escape from the death of cinema. And I think we found it in episode 13, but I didn't know it at the time. There were signs, though. Starting a month after that episode was published, there came a storm of compelling film and TV shows such as we hadn't seen in years and years. A storm that's over now. It ended with the the horribly crappy Avatar 2, and it may never be repeated, but that doesn't matter. The storm was a sign. I think we found an escape from the death of cinema. And in part two of this episode almost under his breath. I think David names it. So back we go to San Francisco for an adventure into the eternal lands of Noir, the Western, and the Screwball. I describe Filthy Armenian Adventures as a travel show that goes deep into the heart of all forbidden territories of our cultural apocalypse in search of truth, gold, and John Galt's motor. Other words for truth, gold, and John Galt's motor may include the western and screwball. And there's no one better to ride into those dreamlands with than David Thompson. We should be as grateful to him for immortalizing those dreamlands as we are to the movies for immortalizing him. Well, it is high, yes, but it's a deserved praise. Well, it's, because I,
1: it, it's accurate in the sense that, I mean, she's in the book and she was a big influence
0: I, on the book. She clearly, to me, was. And it, I mean, I, I obviously noticed. The thought came to me that this, that I'm reading a, um, something that is. In her. Uh, what's the I don't know what the word is. I mean, obviously, influence is one word, but another word is simply tradition. Or yeah, her, you not know. very much. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody gave the I don't think anyone and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anyone gave um, the West as much gravity as her as she did in her fiction. I
1: I think you're probably right. I mean, I've not read as much as I should have done, but I can't think of anybody before her who just sort of was so in love with the the open spaces and the kind of people who lived there. And she knew them well. Very well, yeah, no, very well. I, I mean, I find hardly anyone knows the Professor's House.
0: Which is my favorite of
1: her novels. Well, I think so too, Yeah, but you know, it's it's passing away and that's that's startling and, pr- and probably she is too um, you know it, uh, people of that age and generation they're sort of regarded as old old fashioned but she isn't at all
0: mm-hmm. no she um Willa Cather to me you know well, the reason I'm as well versed in her as I am is simply because the, my most my closest literary mentor friend, since you know, the age of seventeen, is a yeah. huge, big, big uh, supporter of her. I mean, big proponent of her fiction as one of the best, yeah, you um, know, of all time in American literature. And so he's the one who guided me to read the professor's house and yeah. and everything. If not for him, I might have. No, I, I'm trying. I might have chanced upon um, O Pioneers and left it at that. Yeah. Um, I can't think of her being assigned at all at any point. And I took an. I have an English. She degree. was never
1: assigned to you in school. Never at any, any level.
0: You know? Never at any level. Yeah. Uh, nope. Not even Paul's. No. I've I i 1st read her short story Paul's Case in an anthology of American mystery stories that I myself <laughs> found. So. Is, is, is never at any level was she ever assigned and yet she made she, there's a good case to be made that she's think, the best novelist in American history or at least in the conversation well, depending she's, on your taste you she's, yeah she's, I mean No question about it yeah yeah but but professor's house is my favorite yeah that's the bottom line so when I read the opening I you know obviously that had me in her head but it was more like, it was more in the character of uh Susan Garth yeah. where it felt like you were creating a figure of the West that had the kind of had this immediate permanent uh, reality to her that Catherine is able of generating in her hero yeah. heroines and and heroes yeah yeah it's interesting I I wrote the book
1: I realize now um, in the years when I was very close to Irene Selznick. Oh, really? Who died in nineteen ninety, I think. Yeah, that's right. And I spent a lot of time with her because of the Selsnik biography I was doing. Oh, that's right, right. And we became very close and she was a fierce old woman. and there's a lot of her in Susan Garth. That's good, that's that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. She never saw the book, but uh, anyway, she would have forgiven me.
0: I hope. <laughs> well, no, she. I don't think the kind of woman who would be like that, um, which is to say, to, to to which is to my mind, someone truly of the frontier spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hard scrabble in the genuine way. Where, yeah, that's right. Uh, is a, uh there's just simply no reality that f- fools or. In a way, or even depresses her. Yes.
1: No, I agree, and, and I. When they republished it recently, um, I went back and read it. I hadn't read the book for a long time, and I was I was just amazed how much fun I had had doing it, because it 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 really grew out of a period when I and my wife drove in the West a lot we, we came here in 81 and Tom Luddy who died recently took us to the Wright Film Festival in 83 maybe 82 and we drove And it was on that trip that we saw, well, Monument Valley and many of the other sites. And just fell in love with it and the idea of driving. And and, um, so I spent a lot of time in the next few years
0: driving in the West. I wrote a book about Nevada. I love that book, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. One of my favorites. Good. Off, you know. (laughs) Well, from the chat from the unexpected variety, because it's not something that's oh, cited oh, in your totally, top ten. Totally, yeah. But anyway,
1: um, in a way, I did the Nevada book as an excuse to drive right? to drive in the west and go to the and, diners. And you know, for me, it was um, coming from Europe. I'd never driven in that kind of heavy duty way. You know, I I I'd very seldom in my life driven two or three hundred miles in a day mm-hmm. and, you know, when I was doing that, would often drive much more than that, so it, it, it was a very it was a very happy time and, and I loved doing the book and, and going to some of the
0: locations and that kind of thing It seemed that way to me, it seemed uh, it had a quality of almost, even though it's such an intricate book, and it's very intricately plotted through a hundred and more, over a hundred years of, of myth and character yeah. overlapping. Real people, uh, cinematic people, uh, imagined progeny, uh, uh, kind of, there's so, much, there's so much to it, and yet it felt like you were having fun the entire time. I really was, and, and um, the plotting of the book, the working out of the story,
1: fell into place with remarkable ease, I remember going to Tombstone the first time I'd been there to look at the O.K. Corral, And right next to the corral is Fly's photographic gallery. And I wasn't surprised, it sort of absolutely fit that there would be a photographic studio next to the O.K. Corral <laughs> uh, because, you know, there were so many people out there in the West who wanted to have their photograph taken and sent back home to wherever yeah. home was, and and um, um, things like
0: that happened, and 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 uh, it it made it a lot of fun. Yeah. So the one of the big things, one of the things, of course, the title Silver Light. I'm just going to start with Silver Light since we're we're on it. We could, I don't think that it even matters. Uh, the order of the well, it doesn't matter in the sense that your last novel is the last novel. Uh, Connecticut is the final of the trilogy, but Definitely, I think yeah. the other two, uh, the, the order you read them isn't as important. Although there is one character who crosses over from Suspects to Silverlight, which I'll get to. Um, but I, I, you know, one of the things that the Silverlight, of course, is is refers to. Specifically, the way in which the first, maybe help me explain, I mean, help explain this for me. The way the first photograph is captured on silver through light, and there's that scene you have in the book. I mean,
1: you know, um, for decades, silver salts were the light sensitive part of photography, and um, um, it didn't have to be silver, but that was the main. Mainstay of photography, so that it it means a way of looking
0: at the world as, as a beautiful black and white landscape, which has already happened, or has or has yet to happen, or is somehow other than the very present moment, is sort of the haunt, is sort of the the anxiety of the of of this particular uh, development
1: explain what you mean well
0: I mean in the in the sense that you know when you first uh, the, the the way you described it I, I wonder if I took a, a capture of that very text where she sees it it, it feels like the per, the person she sees when she first sees the reflection of her in the photograph is a, is, a, is a ghost yes or something or, or or a premonition of the future a figure that either yeah. knows what's coming or in, a, in some way separate from her
1: well it, it yeah and and I mean what you're talking about has a lot to do with the invention one of the great inventions I think black and white you know because you look at black and white photographs and you say oh well that's lifelike that's the way the world looks but in fact of course unless you have some imperfection of vision nothing looks black and white and black and white is is an amazingly beautiful form that we have been casual with although many people still love it
0: and yes it's it's ghostly you know and, and um, instantly glamorous oh. instantly no matter what's on the in the frame incredibly romantic as yeah. a form yeah totally totally
1: and you know the idea of people who went through the west just photographing it uh, <laughs> a crucial part in the way we understand it, and that's why Fly's photographic gallery is very important because there you are in 1881. Photography's fairly new still, but clearly it's a vital part of the frontier yeah. culture, and, and um, it has a lot to do with people changing their identity. You know, I mean there is the, there is the famous photograph of Billy the Kid. Do you know it? No, I don't. Where the photograph got the photograph got flipped, and that's where the legend of him being a left-handed gun comes from. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. We're not really sure what which he was, but right. We they worked out the photograph had
0: been flipped, I see. which of course happens easily. You know? Right, right. Yeah. And there's that scene in the novel where uh, who is it that's really kind of like put off by the fact by the double by the by the photo of. Um, uh, two characters in the same frame. I forget, Why was it Wyatt Earp? Yeah. Two Wyatt Earps looking at each other yeah, in the photo. Yeah, that's, that's right. And it, it just strikes, yes. was it, uh, 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 what's the characters' names are all are all blending, as I guess they should... Bart Blaylock. Was it Blaylock who got offended by that? Or got, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah I remember. But, yeah, it's a, uh, but you
1: know, I mean, the, the overlap is, is amazing because Wyatt Earp, lived long enough to advise on Western films. Uh, he didn't die till 29, I think. And in his last years, he was an absolute scoundrel of a man, a real world. But he was advising on the way people wore clothes on the West, that kind right. of thing. And, and the complete interaction of reality and fiction, which I find
0: very appealing. How much of a? Uh, I, I mean, this is, I think, part of the grander project that you have, you know, consciously or unconsciously uh, accomplished with this trilogy and with your entire career. But um, which is the which is the uh, basically? I, I see it at this point as the remythologizing of our myths. Because the myths we have been living under the last hundred years, there's the, there's the musical ones that connect into, that, that are connected to folk music, uh, which I've been exploring separately recently through the, through the work of a certain person. You're not a big fan of, <laughs> Mr. Bob Dylan, <laughs> but but sure. yeah. Yeah. he's doing this to me. He's doing the same thing musically. But but the movies we have whether if they if they're dead now. And we, when I was last we last recorded, we were, you know. Pondering the death of cinema, which seems right. inevitable at this point as we know it, yeah. the, the, in, in its in its feature film length form, as the per, per, as the main purveyor of dreams and memory to a mass audience, at the same time, seems like you know we were in a, it, it was dark when we, when I was here last year in March, and then there was a release of several movies which you may not you may like you may not like take your pick but they were they made they were interesting there was a Mm. lot of interesting movies that flowed out directly after that meeting
1: there are there are yeah
0: yeah Uh, although now kind of looking at it I'm saying it feels like the last it feels like maybe it was just the candle flaming before I think it's
1: just changing I think that you know we're all spoiled because we remember when there were a hundred good films in a year yeah and before that maybe even more but but uh that has changed, but but um, there
0: are some extraordinarily good films out there, and there's a lot to see still. There's a lot to see. Yeah. There will be a lot to see for a while yet, yeah. and there will be a hundred years of movies to watch again. Well, of course, that's the key. Yeah, if people care enough to watch them and to yeah. play them on theater, it's yeah. you know, in some theaters, yeah, that's the key. As yeah. long as those are there, we've got we're set. I yeah. mean, yeah, um, and I think what you what, what something your your books have done. Help to accomplish is to ensure that those myths are uh, maintained and remythologized and and are and are open for other people to step into and mythologize for themselves. Yeah. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can uh, more specifically, with this, with these three novels, you've had. And and you know you you've you've grappled with the consequences of these being our myths throughout your entire work the 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 fact of I mean suspects especially grapples with it which we'll get into in a minute but because um, there are different kind of there's these three different uh, cinema worlds or mythological landscapes in this you have silver lights about the western which at the moment the western feels like the most dated yeah. The most disregarded, the most uh, old-fashioned. Um, I can't think of a recent Western that really hit home at the popular level. I mean, maybe you, you would have a better idea than I did. When, I, who was it that maybe Tarantino did one of Tarantino's could would qualify? I I can't really think of one.
1: I think, although I'm not a huge fan of it, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the best Western he's
0: made. That's an int- See, I was thinking of that exactly in my head and I didn't know whether it would qualify Well, given that he made Django Unchained, which is a technically a Western as well. Yeah,
1: but I don't like that book very much. Either. I don't
0: either. But, but I mean, Once Upon a Time... I, I love call- Hateful Eight, but we discussed that. I'm alone. I'm on an island with loving Hateful Eight up in this world. Yes, yes, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm on the Hateful Eight yeah. island. <laughs> but
1: I think... I think the... The whole Brad Pitt character in uh, Hollywood is is he's a Western hero, I think, and that scene where he he goes up, he's repairing the roof with his shirt off. He takes his shirt off. He he enters the West at that point, I think, you know, and and um, and when they go up to when he goes up to the Spawn Ranch. you know, which is obviously contemporary to that time and horrific in all its implications. Right. It it's a ranch and it's on the edge of the desert and it you're getting into the the Western mythology uh, of of the people who wanted to live away from society and make their own law, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think. And of course, he is—he's the—he's the hero who saves the day in a way that, in you know, a yeah. history yeah. rewriting fashion, which is exactly what westerns also do. Yeah. So, indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a western dream from first to last. I, th- <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, people don't realize until they come to LA and really dig deep that it, LA is a wild western pl- place. Well, indeed, and and.
1: Uh... I mean, for me, that has always been a big part of the charm of the place. And, and I remember the first time I met Robert Town talking about that and how, for him, the place in the 1930s when he was a a, a boy had been a real throwback to the Old West. And, you know, Robert Town was born in the... 30s, I guess, only a few years after Whitehead died, so
0: the 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 two cultures are very close together. Yeah. The one movie, so it's interesting that I I maybe have seen half of the movies that are represented in some way in Silverlight. Yeah. I've noticed only at the end, so it was an interesting psychedelic experience for me. Yeah. Not knowing exactly where I knew that you know most of the characters came from somewhere the ones who I couldn't recognize from real life and um, and I didn't know exactly you know what their cinematic uh, origin was until the end and I think that's a pretty good place to place of knowledge to with which to approach the novel like not even knowing where half of them are coming from yeah and then being able to go back later I
1: think I think that's true because I mean far more than suspects. it was a book that invented characters and, and ideally I hope that you wouldn't feel that the invented characters, the fictional characters I'd created, like Susan Garth yeah, were from a different world than her father, Matthew Garth, you know mm-hmm. um, I, I was very conscious after suspects. That I wanted to break the f- the format a bit and invent characters, and and the invented characters are emotionally, I think, the most important characters in the book, probably. You
0: know. Well, she's the anchor. She yeah. Really, she, yeah. I mean, so is Matthew. So is her father. Yeah.
1: I mean, James Averill is is Averill. Is, a, is a version of the characters in Heaven's Gate, but but.
0: To my shame I haven't seen heaven's gate. To oh you have? No, to my shame. Oh, so I love but I love the James Averill character. So I was the whole time I was thinking is he just a kind of compa because he's a very familiar person to me even though I haven't seen heaven's gate and I didn't know who you were talking about. Yes. He's he, as a character, he's very familiar to me.
1: Well, I think he's I think he is a ver- he's a he's a how do I put it? He is an eastern educated person a man of wealth and position in society who goes to the west and puts himself up against the worst forces in the west and in many ways his life is ruined because of it although he he he, he goes back to the east at the end but um, yeah i mean he is he is He is the American civilized man who takes on the West to see if he can handle it. And in a way, that's what I'm doing in the book. Right. And that's what all of us who've come, maybe come to America, but certainly to the West of America, take on. Because I remember, as far as I was concerned, I came to the East, and I lived in the East for. Seven or eight years. This is New York, or where? No, lived in Vermont. Vermont. I taught at Dartmouth, and um, I had no difficulty with it in terms of landscape and the relation of city and country. I liked it, but it was a it was a form that was familiar to me from Europe. Okay. And Dartmouth sent me out to Los Angeles once. To uh, promote the film program at Dartmouth, and and I knew all of a sudden that I was in a different world. And I only saw Los Angeles on that trip, but um, you know, as I as I began to f- see the open places, uh, I was wildly excited, and I still am. I would find it very difficult to live anywhere other than the West of America now. You know. I might have to for one reason or another, but I've been comfortable in the West in a way that I've never been comfortable
0: in my life. And what what if what do you think it is? If the what's the secret sauce about the West that's com- comfortable that make puts your soul at some level of ease? <laughs>
1: well, it's all manner of things. I mean, it's it's certainly the history of the film business, and, yeah. and I. I love just driving around L.A., looking at, discovering places. Uh, And for all the way L.A. changes, there are so many places there that are what they were a long time ago. A shocking number of places, actually. Yes, So that's part of it. The space, I mean, as I said earlier, driving several hundred miles in a day was a new experience for me, and I loved it. Uh, I never really felt driving express me, and that's partly because in Europe you're always driving a short distance to get somewhere in bad traffic conditions, on bad roads, and all of a sudden in the West you realize that you're in landscape highways, and there's hardly anyone else there, and you could drive all day and it'll be this amazing beauty. So that was a big part of it. There's another thing which I'm nervous about talking about because I don't really know the science behind it, but... Hell with science. <clears throat> Hell with science, I said. Well, yeah, but it, it touches on it. Um, first time I drove across country when we moved here, um, I drove our car across country. And I remember getting to New Mexico, Arizona, and getting out of the car and just walking into really a desert. And it was hot, but it was bright, and um, I just loved being there. And I'm not a heat fiend. I don't sort of, I don't love sunbathing, and I don't love intense heat. But I loved the brightness. And a couple of years later, I was trying to describe this feeling to a shrink. And he said, Oh, well, of course, you know about light therapy, do you? And I said, No, I don't really know about light therapy. (laughs) therapy. Well, okay, I'm going to tell you, but I'm nervous about saying it. (laughs) Okay, good. And he said, um, I mean, he. He knew enough about me by then to say, you're a depressive. And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, well, OK, it's not invariably the case, but a, a number of depressed people find light enormously beneficial. And some people who don't live in the West of America or Australia or wherever, you know, they actually go into light box rooms. Right. for an hour a day or whatever. Because there is a fairly well substantiated theory, this is the science, mm-hmm. that light is directly beneficial to people who are little downcast. And I can only say that from my experience, I believe in it totally. And if you believe in it totally, then,
0: that, then, it, that, well, then that science, it's working. Yeah, it's working. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the yeah. key to all yeah. thing, making everything yeah. work. So that was a part of it. But I think it's, a, I, I mean, everything I've heard corroborates that. The vitamin D yeah. discussion. And that's all this. right. Uh, my, you know, it's interesting to me that you're a depressive. You're the most productive human being I've ever met. How are you? How have you managed to be so productive as a depressive? To fight the depression. To fight the depression. yes.
1: I mean, uh, in a nutshell, many, many mornings, certainly in the last ten years, I I will get up feeling so low that the only thing that puts me in shape is trying to compose on the word processor. And composition for me is a very valuable word emotionally because it it's a it's a technique of writing, obviously, but it, it it's composing yourself, and uh, it doesn't always work, but it works better than anything else I've ever
0: found in life, you know. But the fact that you are, do you have the discipline to know that that's what you need to do? I guess is what separates you from depressives who don't, who whose depression gets in the way of them, make working, doing work, or I, I
1: don't think of it as a discipline. I think of it. As an addiction, it, it's a sort of desperate survival tactic. Yeah. So it's good to have addiction sometimes. I don't know how to live without it. Yeah. You know, um, and most of the interesting people I've ever known have been addicted to something, even if it was even if it was just to their ego. Right. <laughs> You've written
0: about some characters, I
1: think. who probably I have. have, some, have. such an addiction. I'm very, I'm very drawn to characters like that. You with know. Yeah, yeah. And the film world is crowded with them. With them it's know. teeming, teeming. Oh. One might say overflowing. Absolutely, yeah. And and even if the movies are dying, that is not. That's all not the... going to die. <laughs> no, maybe
0: that's the thing. That's that's the that's the the ray of eternal hope is that egotism yeah. will never die. And so yeah. how can no how can hollywood die if egotism never that's happens? right that's right and of course
1: it has gone into many other forms it's gone into yeah it's you know it's amazing how it's gone into sport oh yeah i um, mean you know you go back to even say the 50s and great great figures in our sporting culture and tradition were tongue-tied
0: idiots Oh, I would say even up until the two thousand. Much long recently, yes. Yeah, actually, yeah. way into the. I mean, I you know, I was just talk, thinking about this the other day because I saw a movie. My the most recent movie I watched. Yeah. Is he got game? Do you remember that film? No. Spike Lee. Okay, all I will say is watch it. If you don't, if you skipped it, is nineteen ninety eight. Yes. I was stunned. I, I think it's a masterpiece. Oh, you might no think kidding. I'm an idiot after you watch it, but... No, no, no. It, it's a, People it's,
1: who believe in masterpieces aren't idiots. No, they I, never I, are. I,
0: and, and Spike Lee <laughs> is someone I've done nothing but make fun of, just casually for no reason.
1: I find Spike Lee more, more interesting.
0: Okay, I because mean, I just don't know. I think I've seen Devil in a Blue Dress and that's it, before this, before he yes. got came. I used it, as i said. All I, I, For some reason, even though I was extremely into basketball, all I ever did with the DVD when it came out at the time was use it as a marital aid in high school, yes. if you know what I mean. I there's a few scenes in it that I slow mo, and you know, uh, you'll see what you'll see when you watch it. Okay, okay. I rewatched it last week. I think it's an app. It's, it's the best sports movie I've ever seen. Okay, um, it's it's. I don't I don't even want to spoil it because everything about it that would mark it as surrealistic, unrealistic, whatever, is exactly what makes it spiritually true. Okay, um, and it's about especially if you have some awareness of the world of. Uh, college sports recruiting, yeah, yes, and that whole circus. Oh yeah. Then yeah. in- it's so that's what it's about. Okay. So put that on. I, I would I would love to hear your because you are a sports go. sports oh, fan. All right. Yeah, yeah. Which is important.
1: The only sport I've ever found that I really can't get into is ice hockey.
0: Same. I've I made j- it. I've I made just can't get into it. it. You know. Yeah. It's just hard to watch because it's hard to watch well, on, that's, on the screen. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. that's literally yeah. the reason. If you go to a game, I'd, maybe you've been. I've been to a game. Uh, Much I, better in, in, a, in a game than we, it
1: is. We knew George Gund who owned the Sharks for a time. Oh, no kidding. And he gave me front row tickets sometimes. So. Oh, wow. And that To be there that's is, fun. is amazing.
0: No, no, it's great. Yeah. I yeah. I love any time I've been to a Kings game a handful yeah. of times. But yeah. on the TV, it's just, I can't catch no. it. And any time they've tried to make it like... like put a, a visual effect on the puck, it's never worked. Yeah. It's just the reason. We're yeah. watchers. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But, but well, I bring it up because watching that movie made, made, no, made me, which, by the way, stars Ray Allen. Basketball rookie with no acting experience. Great player. Great player. Pretty competent actor, too. Well, you'll see in this is incredible acting. I was, believe it. Yeah. Incredibly, yeah. I mean, his... His clumsiness is exactly what makes it perfect. It, yeah. That's the thing. I bet you. And apparently it was gonna it was it would have been Kobe had Kobe not oh, decided. Okay, right. Yeah, had he not decided he wanted to spend all summer getting better at basketball yeah. for his second season. Yeah. It was gonna be Kobe. Apparently that's the story. Yeah. It turns out perfect. Denzel's at his be- at his finest in a very tech complicated uh role. Yeah. It's just I I I'm, I couldn't believe I was like almost crying at how good it was. <laughs> oh, I can't <laughs> oh, yeah. wait! I can't wait. <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm fast. I'm of course I'm selling. selling it to the to the nines. Oh, so. I'm getting,
1: I'm gonna get to it. Yeah. Once. yeah. Um.
0: But uh, uh, the the reason I thought of it is because okay, I've been following sports since I was a baby, and I've known athletes because of my UCLA involvement with, with my father. I've known them since I was, you know, a baby. Yeah. I was talking to them. I would go to the bench and I would talk to the injured Ed O'Bannon, uh, star of the 95 championship team, UCLA, when he was he spent a year on the bench with a broken leg. And I was five years old and for some reason I felt bad for him. And before every game I would go down and talk to him for like 10 minutes. God knows about God knows what I would say. Right. Um, and there were, they were not flashy now they all are because okay. they're all Instagram they've all got their Instagram bands and blah 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 blah. Yeah, Absolutely. But they most of them were pretty tongue tied. They'd had to take classes just to be able to say something I know. legible to the media. I know. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the same in England. I mean, you know, once upon a time, soccer players and I adore soccer players, were really fools. Yeah. Trumps. But now, they can all hold down their end in a 30-minute interview, you know. Oh, like, yeah. It's amazing, yeah. They're all media
0: branding experts. All yeah. these ugly words yeah. have been introduced yeah. now.
1: Yeah. And, and look, they're sort of movie people.
0: Right. They really are. Well, how did we get onto the sports thing? It's I don't my, know. I took, I, I, it's I the thing draw... we're most interested yeah, in. Yeah, I know. We're both... <laughs> I careened it off the cliff with, with He Got Game, but there was a there was a... An off-ramp from something we were talking about when we got into sports. Well, we
1: were talking about just being in the West
0: and the excitement of it, I guess. Yeah, I the, the the West, the excitement yeah. of it. Yeah. San Francisco, it hit me like a ton of gold bricks, is a freaking gold town, a boom town, with, which has had multiple gold gold rushes since, up until the most recent tech thing. Right. And, and it hit me that that's what San Francisco is, and that it's Bitterness that the bitter layer is also the bitterness of a boomtown gone bust.
1: Well, you know, gold rushes are famous for the people who make it, but they cultivate, it's just like Las Vegas, they cultivate a society of losers. Losers. And they're bitter as hell, and violent and dangerous, you know, yeah. that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. It didn't put two, to two together until reading Silver like that. That is where the San Francisco bitterness and edge and come ugliness through. comes yeah. from yeah 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 uh-huh. and and you know i mean it's even what could be more bitter being one it's one thing to miss out on the gold it's another thing to miss out on the spiritual gold and to get here in the, in the late 60s thinking you're found in heaven well spiritually
1: that's right and as soon as you come to san francisco in my experience you beat old timers who tell you oh it's all over
0: you know, right. you should have been here. We should have been here in 1849, not 1852. That's right, right. It's, <laughs> it, it's built into the fabric I, of it. That's right, time.
1: that's right, you know. You yeah. Know. But, it, you know, I mean, if you think back to the 1930s, San Francisco was an island. The two bridges didn't exist. They only opened in 37, I think. You know, I mean, incredible change. If you were here and you wanted to get to Marin... You would have to take the ferry, or drive an incredible distance around. You know,
0: and yet the twenties were roaring in San Francisco, were they not? Was I it think so. I okay. mean, my oh, dim, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Court based on what Mencken writes. Mencken was oh, I
1: think I think it was a very, very great time. Yeah, and uh, you know there was a, there's also always been, the snob appeal, the sort of beat L.A. Idea, which is yeah. fatuous, you know, but, but it really is. It's it's, it's, it's a big thing, nonetheless. You
0: know. I can, I, this is the San Francisco as an LA fan, you know, LA, LA person. I've always, I, you know, a sports talk radio has de- yeah. de- depicted to me is that, that yeah. ri- bitter rivalry, which I, I, it really doesn't work both ways. In, in LA, people don't really care about investing San Francisco because they know there's a lot of other things in life (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's so much more than being better than some other city which is a wonderful city yeah Yeah. exactly yeah now that I'm a a a highly biased uh, LA patriot uh, by you know not just organically but but intellectually I find it to be especially revealing of people who performatively hate LA yeah and frequently what the what it consists of—that hatred—and often comes from New York as well, um, very commonly—is just simply a projection of the, their own weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the LA stereotypes are actually much truer of New York. I've re, I've learned recently. Yeah. The right. health, the health fads, the superficiality, yeah. the—I um, mean, there's a—I I composed a list at one point that I—I don't—I don't want to repeat now, where it was like, oh, actually, all of these things. Are far more true in New York City, and they and they tend to be carried by, flib- to gibbet, uh transients. They're, that's the kind of word where right. they come right. from. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I believe you. But the but the 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 importance you capture in this novel, I think. The boom and the bust, and the convert and the way in which. The the West. Long after it's been completely uh, explored. I mean, it's never going to be completely explored because that's another thing that you learn is like when you when you think of Mesa Verde, there will always be these secret caverns totally. that will never that will never be explored. Finally, if oh, they're explored once, absolutely, and and you know, I mean, there there are places there are
1: places in the West where the maps are not very good. Put it that way. Yeah, because no one's quite sure. Right. (laughs) Northern Nevada um, is 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 an area that hardly anyone ever goes to, and and it's quite hard getting into it properly. So
0: uh, yeah, it's almost as if it's built to defy maps forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a way, as a no, totally. Yeah,
1: and you, I mean. I've not been, and it's actually very hard to go, but there is this brand new, it's not a city, but it's a version of a city, built in Nevada. I don't know whether you've seen it, there were some newspaper stories about it a couple of years ago, and it's been built as a
0: work of art. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it, should I go? What's it called?
1: I don't think you'd get there. Oh, I did
0: get there, oh great. It, 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 <laughs> it's private land oh. but,
1: but look it up you can track it down yeah. I forget what it's called but um, it—it's—I mean, it's it, I mean it's got that quality that Nevada has altogether. to say well let's start the world again let's start civilization again and we'll build I mean that's what Las
0: Vegas is but right. this is a version of that right yeah and and it seems like that, that you know one of the themes of the novel is that now that the the West has been pioneered and been civilized and so on, and at least at the at least at the most uh, at the at the most material level we've it's been discovered, yeah um, is discovered by those who discover the mythology of it was basically then retained. By the invention of photography, yeah. on its very on the very material that was discovered, you know, aided by the very facilitated yeah. by the very material we discovered there, which is silver. Yes, and and then you know uh, uh, turned into this for for up to the present day, yeah. this American, uh, you know, found I mean, foundational American uh, myth. Yeah.
1: And I, I mean. What happened with silicon and computer chips is another version of that. So the same
0: thing. <laughs> yeah. It really is Silicon it's, it's Valley. Just,
1: just amazing. Yeah.
0: I want to talk about Red River. I dis somewhat disconcertingly when we maybe it was the year the first time I visited you, you, you were kind of reporting a little bit of a come down from your lifelong. Yeah, love of Red River. I don't know if that come down has still been going down or if it's stabilized.
1: No, no I mean uh, I don't know how to put this. I, I I think that I think that the more I got to know some realities about America and physical realities but social political realities too, the harder I had to work to reconcile films I loved with that new sensibility and and, and these great films a uh, date and, and, and um, I think there was a time when I began to see how fake Red River is uh, but I think I've got through to the point where I appreciate the fakery as a very natural American thing Yeah, it's a very real... Yeah, yeah. No, it's still a film I love and and I see quite regularly, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that's the one film I would tell... I've already sent the word out to some of my uh, people to, you know, if you haven't seen Red River, see Red River so then you can read Silverlight. Because I do think that's the one... Maybe just because I personally agree that it's the best Western that I've seen. Um, Not that I have seen all of them, as I learned from the end. You know, I haven't seen Who Shot Liberty Valance, for example... Probably it's not in the same... I've seen Searchers, which I love as well, yeah. but Searchers is... it feels like a bit more of a... Um, it's a narrower character st- study than what yeah. Red River is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I mean, I agree, and, and, and I know much better now than I ever did when I first saw Red River that, that, that it was expressing things about my relationship with my father. Hmm. And um, it, it, it's a very, it's quite a dark view of that, and, and, and the, the rivalry and the, the antagonism uh, between a father and a son, which I hope I've not got into with myself. <laughs> but certainly it was a big thing with my father.
0: Your sons are like. I don't get this Red River thing. Mm-hmm. What is it? I don't know. Your sons don't care about Red River because they don't oh, have of that. Oh, yeah, They don't give a shit. You.
1: that's one of Dad's old movies. Yeah, because like, <laughs> yeah. they, they love you too much. What yeah, no, no, but
0: it's a very different relationship. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, the 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 I mean the feeling, what what the the important thing about Red River, apart from its grand, I think, which is also very to me. I almost cried when when I first saw it. 20 age, 21, 22, because I've always been possessed of uh, grand ambitions you know, of the, li- you know, mostly of the literary uh, category. Um, uh, when he gets there and the guy and uh, Merrill, is it Merrill? The, who who meets him there? And when they get finally to Kansas, whoever the the, the one who's going to pay for all those cattle tells them. Oh, to, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Melville, I think. Melville, yeah, yeah. okay, Melville. Yeah. Great yeah.
0: name. Um, Frank Melville or Bob Melville. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's that, played by Harry. Harry, right? Yeah, Harry Carey, the yeah. Cubs announcer. Yeah. Uh, he he tells he tells him there's a man's there's three times in a man's life when he's got a right to yell at the moon. That's right. Yeah. It's like his wedding night, yeah. when he has his first, when he has his child, and when he does That's something. The job he set himself yeah, to do. that yeah. he had to be crazy yeah. to set himself yeah. To,
1: yeah. to. Well, the other thing about Ray Rover which <clears throat> I think is important, it's about a business. It's about the business of feeding America, you know. I mean, the, the only reason they drive the cattle all that way is to get to a railhead where they can slaughter the cattle, refrigerate them or do whatever they did, yeah. and, and get them across the country and feed the country. And um, that's, for me, that's very close to Noah Cross in Chinatown talking about the future. And you know the I'm I'm a huge admirer of that type of person who saw that they could make their own fortune and move the country forward through business. Yeah. Often nefarious, yeah. illegal, brutal. Yes. yes. Great cruelty. Right. Noah Cross is a very cruel character. But there was definitely a time when America was built on people like that. And, and, and th- that tension is still there. It's still there in the struggle between liberalism, whatever you want to call it, and the Make America Great again, right. you know. And um, it's easy to dislike Trump, but it's much harder to ridicule that sense a lot of Americans have of reclaiming the greatness and you know the making of this country was something fantastic it was did terrible damage right certainly yeah. to the ecology and everything and maybe that damage will destroy the world but it equally it built, the best example of what a new
0: country could be. yeah, and that's amazing. And it's still standing. I mean, knock on wood. I mean, <laughs> you never We're know. still standing. You never know. Yeah. You know, but, 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 I mean,
1: there again, the West is, has got this incredible weather drama right. beginning. And, God, it could easily get out of hand.
0: Well, we're, we're, in, we're uh, uh, I mean, the flame, the, fi- the, f- the fires have become, a, at this point, routine. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like that when I was growing up. I mean, they were always a threat.
1: Changed out of recognition in just a few years. In
0: a few years, it's been like uh, yeah. clockwork. Yeah. Uh, clockwork orange, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, and very hard to think it's going to be reversed. I mean, it, it would take some level of competence in managing these forests that might help a little bit. But way, that's beyond a, now. way beyond this map. Way beyond this. It <laughs> seems like a, several Golden Gate bridges too far to, to achieve some sort of competence over forestry, Absolutely. apparently. In this yeah. day and age. Yeah. Yeah. But no. But yeah. But at the, the bottom the the point is, this country does not exist at all in any fashion, shape, or form without Noah Cross. Exactly. Exactly. And that's there's no way
1: around that. No. And he's he's got that incredible combination of charm and warning that Houston had in person, you know. I see I mean yeah, he had it's I, a great performance. It's so good. Yeah. Everyone just, always says, Oh Jack Nicholson's is so good at the film and he is. He's great and she, of course. and, and yeah. she is.
0: But Houston
1: is amazing.
0: He's the film. Yeah, I, I um, uh, he is absolutely the film, especially as the film ages and you know it becomes a, it, you start you know just like with just like with Red River, I think Chinatown and this this transitions us into the noir world. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just you know, I think Chinatown. Not that I've seen it too recently, but I, I would assume. On on rewatching it again, that you know, as a, some sort of don't expect it to be some sort of realistic depiction of Los Angeles or anything like that. I think there is a different. I think it's in the world of yeah fakery, but yeah. faker the kind of fakery that unearths spiritual yeah. Yeah. truth. Yeah, and he's the spiritual <laughs> truth, Noah Cross. Oh, well, he had. is. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: He's, he's he's the
0: the landmark of character and destiny right in the film. because yeah. he makes things happen exactly. and if everything's there to be taken he's yeah. going to take it that's right yeah 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 but it's very uh, you've done a very uh, bold and at the, if you did this today it would be unpublishable uh, speculation about him and um, in, in suspects which I'll we'll get to in a su- I was just in John Huston's grave at the Hollywood Cemetery oh. Hollywood Forever just last week, a very simple, a very simple um, headstone, uh, hiding in plain sight under a beautiful tree of little tree of some kind, and I think there's it's with um, it's a double headstone. Um, I it was very hard to find, but it's, but it's the simplest thing in the entire cemetery. Mm. And so I, my previous episode, my latest episode, I it was this tour of the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and I was. Taking some of the clips from yeah. Chinatown to yeah. add to that as a background, and it, it reminded. And I was watching his interviews on, what's his name, Dick Cavett. Oh yeah, with the cigar and everything, and the yeah. way he was just, he was he was very. There was a certain. Um, I was trying to process who this man John Houston is. You know, he's like This he there's something so uh, pragmatic about him, and. In a way, he's he's kind of the Noah Cross of directors because he kept on making he kept on making movies until the very end, in terrible health, and he also he kept
1: he he was always capable of making terrible films. Terrible,
0: yeah, as well as very as various very good
1: ones. And it, he sort of just sailed on as if
0: Didn't what matter. the hell are
1: you going to do? You're yeah. going to have to make a lot of bad films to make a few good films, which I think is a very Hollywood attitude too.
0: Right. I actually appreciate
1: that attitude. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't have... And not being afraid of making bad films. Right. And I think think sometimes, from what I've heard, he got so bored with the films, he just sort of really just sat in a chair and just let the films unwind and happen, you know. But then when there was a project that he believed in, he woke up and his attention came
0: back and, uh, yeah. It's a very different approach to the per- the perfectionist who only ever ever yeah, does. Yeah. You know, everything has to be a masterpiece of the moment. Actually. Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And I mean, basically, I think
1: that that sense that a director can make masterpieces has generally
0: been pretty bad for American folk. I guess the current ex- mm-hmm. the current uh, exemplars of the masterpiece theory of cinema would be P.T. Anderson, who seems to only do, you know, one movie every five years. Um, who else? I mean, you could say Tarantino in his way. Yeah. He's only done a few, like only nine, eight, nine movies. Yeah, yeah. Both I of mean, them seem to handle the task well, so it's not a... They're not the refutation in battle, not think. But. Yeah,
1: I think Wes Anderson is sort of in that category too, maybe, not
0: my favorite. Not my cup either. Yeah. It's the, yeah. Something yeah. about it never... Yeah. It's like when you have a coffee that's like that very light, fancy roast, light roast, and it tastes like flowers and cinnamon. I know. I'm sort of of dreading seeing the new film, but I will see it. Yeah, we'll we'll all see. The other thing about the current the current uh, uh, apocalypse hellscape is that anytime there's anything now, we're all gonna like any any sign of water or life, any any any,
1: (laughs) any sign of promise, we're gonna (laughs) jump on it.
0: Yeah. 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 Which is a way of re, re reawakening our respect for all matters of talent. Yeah, of course. You yeah. know, even the ones yeah. that aren't our are cup yeah. of tea. Yeah. Yeah. But Noah Cross, of course for those who don't know, is the villain or the the the, the antagonist in Chinatown, the old the, the base loosely on Walter Mulholland. Yeah. Uh, the guy who bought the, the man who Basically, brought water to the city, to the city yeah. of LA. Yeah, and is it has a massively, uh, has a massive street name, a drive named after him. Yeah, which you've written about as if it's a woman in an essay called Beneath Mulholland, That's right. which is only three to four pages long. Yet you wrote it over the course of eleven years. If I if I'm interpreting the,
1: is that right? It could be. At yeah. the end
0: of it, it says 1985 to '96.
1: Well, I think what happened was. Tina Brown commissioned it for Vanity Fair, and it didn't get published for reasons I literally can't remember. And I put it away, and then I came back to it later, and I didn't really change it, but I altered it a little bit. Yeah. So it
0: it took that amount of time. It was an, it's an interesting thing. At the end, like he really thought he really molded this one over. He <laughs> literally, well, yeah. You know, no, but it's, but it's Mulholland. Um, yeah, which is and, a great road. Oh, it's a, it's a hell of a road. Hell of a road, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got many eleva- different elevations and altitudes.
1: It's got many but moods and, and genres along the, the way. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. at this point... Um, yep. My wife and I once were driving on my Road in a car that literally caught fire. Oh, shit. It's amazing. Someone came up behind us and said, "You know your cousin." <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. a, that's right
0: out of the a magic, Lost highway.
1: A magical road, yeah, yeah, yeah right, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 my last thing about the West is in, in the Matthew Garth character. Um, so the kind of strange, the I like, I love the way that you kind of captured without ever really announcing it. In the, in the novel, his, I guess, Montgomery Clift's weird kind of bisexuality.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's always been a fascinating part of the whole film. I mean, I saw the film when I was like eight, maybe, and uh, fell in love with Matthew Garth. And it was only decades later that I discovered that Clift had a quite different kind of sexual life. But it it affects everything he ever did, and it makes him it's what makes him such an interesting actor because you you do feel when you're old enough to understand that you feel the, the struggle that's going on in him. And I, you know. Struggle in which he ultimately fails, and um, it, it's—I uh, think it's what makes him a tragic figure. And when he smashes his, his face up in the car crash and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That but works. but I looked at the place in the sun recently, and it's just staggeringly a romantic, erotic film. I have to rewatch. It's only. It, one it's one. just amazing. Uh, George Stevens photographed their love scenes from a distance with a telephoto lens. I don't really think anyone had done it before. And it's breathtakingly intimate. You know, it's one of the sexiest scenes in American film. And clearly those two felt that for each other for that moment. And if anyone could have made Cliff... T- a heterosexual, it would have been Taylor,
0: I think. <laughs> well, she, 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 yes, for many, many such cases.
1: I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. My, my, yeah. I've always, I've often described my moment of um, my fir- the first inklings of, of a crack in my, uh, of a crack in my porcelain, were watching Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Oh, Elizabeth yeah. Taylor coming in second <laughs> to, to Paul Newman <laughs> I haven't seen that for so long it must be a very strange film now it must be well I haven't seen it either since probably I was 2021 20, Yeah. I haven't seen it as a I've, I've only seen it as a straight man I believe I don't think I've seen yeah. it as a gay man well Newman I mean, is also I think a very curious character I you know. think there are
1: well I mean some, we some, all, there's so that, man, all the fuss about him just in the last year or two the Right, The strange television film about him and everything, and, and um, I always found Newman very hard to place on screen. I never particularly liked him um, as an actor, but, um, but I, think he, he, I think he was a very confused person. I think he disliked
0: himself in a profound way. And how, how would a man of such of that level of talent, beauty, and achievement dislike? What is it about himself that he's disliked? I think he hated being called
1: beautiful all the time. You know, I mean, you know. I mean, there is a there's a very strong fear in the heterosexual that if two or three people say he's beautiful, it means something he just can't kind of face, can't kind of right. deal with. And uh, unquestionably Newman was beautiful. Uh but I I think he I think he had terrible trouble with it. I think he relaxed when he got older. Some of his acting when he's sixty or past sixty, I think is the best stuff he ever did. Such as I'm trying to think um about when he did his what's movie. the film he made? A Robert Benton film, Nobody's Full. Nobody Oh. Yeah. I didn't see that one.
0: yeah. Anyway. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you like him in Verdict I, I think
1: Verdict is a very solid piece of work I do like him in, in the Verdict yeah and, and it has that quality a lot of Sydney Lumet has that I think is very respectful respectable
0: earnest well constructed well worked out it just doesn't get to me quite. that's the thing about Sidney Lumet it's so strange you know I love i I hate I, I say this. I hate to criticize anyone who's made that many movies that I really like yeah I mean there's so many he's made A, that I really like very accomplished guy yeah. yeah and and I hate to be the guy who says well because he didn't you know because he kind of bounced all over the place in terms of genre in terms of yeah um Everything and because he was so faithful to the material he was working with every time, yeah. that he doesn't have a Hitchcockian, you know, signature no. of sameness. No. And 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 it, I hate to, I hate for any of these things to. I I, I I'm hoping that whatever it is that, <clears throat> whatever it is that's a barrier between us and Sidney Lumet, between yeah. Sidney Lumet and greatness, is something that doesn't have to do with that sort of. Yeah. St- I I I. I admire him and respect
1: him, but I never get excited about his films, whereas a director with the same sort of distance between himself
0: and the material, Bakula, interesting, I get excited by Pakula films always. Would you say that in the same category would fall Otto Preminger? Or is that a stretch I, I get excited by I get excited by him too but you yeah. could similarly say there's a distance oh absolutely
1: and yeah. a tremendous
0: respect for
1: control and yeah reason you know.
0: yeah and and, an, and, an, and a propensity to teach to teaches to teach his, to teach his uh, uh, stars how to kiss yeah I'd like to teach him how to kiss yeah. On yeah. I've read in his yeah. biography
1: yeah well, no, no he and, you know he acted the fool he acted the big shot and the bully and everyone fell for that but he but he was a very thoughtful person underneath it that's
0: fact. that's what comes out of i remember reading i i reviewed his biography way back in 08 um and that was the contradict like uh, on yes. the surface he's the yes. most me to person who ever lived i know but then everyone privately said he was an angel which and had a learned. very very smart guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, He's yeah. delivered a number of... Um, I mean, to have the at the same time one of the best film noirs, Laura, which he took over for my uh, ancestor, Ruben Mamoulian. Exactly. Um, I'm sure Ruben Mamoulian... Had, what
1: do you say took over? I think he edged him Yeah, aside. he, he kind of
0: like, shoved them over for yeah, her. Yeah. Uh, to everyone's dismay, because everyone loved Mamoulian. And he did and it, the same later on Porgy and, and with, Bess. With, right, with Porgy and Bess. Yeah, same thing. He just... Chopped them over, and everyone everyone working on those films loved Ruben Membuli and yeah. hated Otto Preminger. Exactly, but I can't I mean, say that they would have been better. I mean, Ruben Mouli has made some great films. I mean, it's a good director Yeah, yeah. Who knows how they? You know, I mean, obviously there was some trouble in paradise. Yeah, <laughs> Preminger mean, just coming yeah. in with the yeah. uh, with the blade yeah. of, on him twice. Yeah, but Laura's great. Um, and Angel Face Angel Face is great where the sidewalk ends I like a lot yep yep I fucking love Anatomy of a Murder. Oh. I can live in that movie great for- I think it's the best courtroom drama yeah great Advise and for- advising Consent which I love that too I, I think yeah. it's the best Washington movie I haven't seen yeah. all the Washington movies but that's my favorite yeah. Washington movie right? he, he's, he's good and I like Noel Coward's creepy ass turn oh, yeah. and where the yeah. sidewalk ends yeah yeah, yeah and there's others too that you really yeah, said that I, yeah. That I like uh, yeah yeah he's oh, hats off to yeah to Air Otto definitely, <laughs> definitely yeah. yeah um but it but let's get to the noir world yeah because okay. it's really interesting to me yeah um and you write apart from our other considerations about Noah Cross he's He's is a looming character in Suspects. Yes, he reappears, of course, because he's, in, he's an he's ine- inevitable part of the fabric of America. Yeah. So he re- reappears in Silverlight. Yeah. Does not appear, as far as I remember, in um, no. Connecticut. No. Because that's that's a different sort of place. Yeah. But um, here in Suspects, you start out. Let's talk. Let's kind of because this is a very important thing you accomplished with Suspects. Which is a, it sneaks up on you. Um, I don't think we should be afraid of spoilers because at this point, the people who are going to be listening to this—I mean—I I want them to understand why they need to read it beyond just being no okay. surprised. Okay. But it's up to you. Um, no, no,
1: no. I, I'm. I mean, the book is a long time ago, so <laughs> right. <laughs> I assume that. <laughs> if it's been read, it's been read. <laughs>
0: right. Well, I don't. Uh, more to the point, I don't think it depends upon the element of surprise for its... No. You know, it's, that's, Absolutely yeah, not. It no. just doesn't. No. It has a huge, yeah. big surprises. Although you give it away also in the very beginning, too, yeah. if you, anyone's paying yeah. attention. Yeah. It begins with you as almost as if you're David Thompson doing profiles... Almost as if I am. Yes. Almost as if... Yeah. <laughs> almost as if you're David Thompson you're doing a book almost as if it's a continuation of the biographical dictionary of film except this time you're doing fictional characters instead of the that's right the, the real people and so that is
1: exactly how the book came into being uh, a publisher approached me and said would you do a biographical dictionary of characters and I thought it was a wonderful wild idea and as I thought about it I said, I think I think the characters all have to be in the same genre. So we we feel it's the same world. They're breathing the same air. And he agreed with that and I was off. But then I got this really uh, nightmarish idea in the sense that it gave me so much trouble, but I I had the feeling that what seemed at first to be a series of separate sketched biographies would change because you would realize that some of these people knew each other. Mm -hmm. They had links. They had relationships. They had history that is not in their films. And I I I faced a moment where, the, just planning these lives was—that was, that was the, the nightmare. It was very hard work. And I said to myself, "Should all the characters know each other? The whole thing?" Yeah. And I said, "No, that's too much. I it's can't do lot. that." So there are a lot of characters who are separate, but there's also a family of yeah. characters in the book, and. Um, Working that out was—it um, was like, oh, it was like chess problems, you know. It was, it was, it was very tricky, and, and but but there was an exuberant feeling doing it too at the same time, and I had this feeling that almost without realizing it, I had stumbled into a format and a way of writing about these people that was going to build. A sort of critical commentary about film noir that I have never been capable of in a regular essay or a film review, so that I think the I think the book
0: says a lot about film noir. I was going to say that if you were to call this is it, as a as a critical commentary, it's the most important book ever about film noir. Because okay. you could, I don't believe you could, I agree with you, I was just thinking about this as I was kind of m- m- pondering over what it does. There's no way you could, appro- you could approach that level of uh, texture and um, I sweep of about, about this, the entire existence of this world that was invented basically in the mid-1940s yeah. and has been imitated since then over and over oh. again. To the present day. It's passed into the bloodstream. Into the yeah, it's not It's not a, It's not not like the Western, which no. still gets, is, is, you know... It's still alive. Like it's that. still alive. Noir yeah. is completely still alive. It's yeah. to, to almost, to, almost to a fault. It's almost too much of a... And I love Noir. I, as I said, my first movie, not Hitchcock was the first, but the first movie I saw in that ninth grade film class that cinema pippled me was Double Indemnity. Yeah. I was hooked. That was it. I was yeah. in. Then the next one was Citizen Kane. Yeah. Which, as you say, is film noir. Film But Donald Trump is a film noir character. Right. Donald Trump, totally. Totally. Um, uh, and I think he half knows it. Well, he, he, he half knows every every, yeah. every role he's playing. He's yes. more, than half, more than half, I think. Just half. Yeah. But then his, his genius is that his other half, is he's a screwball character. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's the How genius. True. How true. Um and, uh, and it's a hard... It's, that's a hard one to look away from. Oh, do God. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but, but I loved. You know, I, I have a lot of thoughts about film noir. I see... You have a line in here that i pretty I sh- wonder if I, I quote it um, for myself to easily repeat. There's, there's a... I think it's in your introduction to this from 2006 where you talk about it being a sort of studied escape. Let me see if I can find it, because it's, it says it better than I can. This is me being sloppy, but... Um, you know, you're describing why you want you approached this the way... Ah, here it is. It was in doing... Ah, okay. I felt then, and I feel now, that it was touching on a rather youthful pessimism that sometimes accompanies the cult of film Noir. It was doing. It was in doing the book that I realized that life was much more than noir, and that noirism might be a studied escape. Today, I fear I find the people who cultivate noir a little unreliable as companions, precisely because of that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, I, I, I relate to that as well. Probably because I'm as, I'm as suspicious of my youthful pessimisms as one ought to be twenty years after they hold.
1: The there's a way in which a lot of noir glorifies self-pity. Absolutely. That I find clammy and off-putting now, you know. And, and the whole cult of noir, I think, is sort of a little bit out of hand. I, I'm a friend of a- a- Eddie Muller, and I like him a lot personally, but I think, I think in cultivating noir, in The way he's done, he's sort of um, he's he stopped thinking about it. That's an unkind way of putting it, because he's a smart guy. But but he's turned it into um, into an artifact. And I think there are people who sort of idealize themselves in noir setting, and they're pretty painful
0: they are no it's so true um, glorifying self-pity is the perfect way of putting it yeah. it's a crutch Yeah. especially I've noticed this as a very common there's a very uh, specific category of heterosexual husband who finds himself clinging to his noir as a as a coping mechanism for giving in to life and kind of surrendering to domesticity.
1: And it's almost
0: invariably associated with being unable to talk to women. Or just given uh, yeah, just giving in to the if it's yeah. if they're married already, it's just sort of yeah. like giving into yeah. the That's right. one yeah. one sided yeah. conversation. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and but if deep, they're unmarried, not being able to talk. Deep
0: in the bloodstream
1: oh yeah yeah yeah, and and, uh,
0: uh, we'll never get rid of it well (laughs) I (laughs) want to get I want to I want to truly exhaust all the badness of it because so that we can celebrate the goodness with a light heart that's been my strategy these days instead of going from good to bad where we love something and then we sour on it I prefer to sour first and then and then reclaim it and then we're clean and reclaim it and then have a yeah and then have all have the burdens lifted no I like that so let's I'm going to dig deeper because I've no, I've noticed this as I've you know become acquainted with new people in the last two you know post the the, the post the post post the pen the post play years, mm. and I've seen communities form around certain figures such as um, Elroy, for example. Um, he has his adherents. Of course, Raymond Chandler through the, through the decades has his yep. adherents. Yeah, I've I've. Always wanted to like Raymond Chandler. I have yet, I've only read actually The Long Goodbye. I probably have to, for the, just for knowledge's sake, read The Big Sleep. But there's something not great about his, his fiction, I feel. There's something that doesn't quite live up to the myth around Raymond Chandler and everything. What, what's your take? What's your. Let's talk about Raymond Chandler and Elroy and all these motherfuckers for a second. Uh,
1: well, um, Uh, I think the Chandler I love is a comic writer. I think he's very good at writing comedic dialogue, and I think that there was a part of him that would like to have turned Marlowe into a a funnier character. Mm -hmm. And I think he got caught up in the code of the Marlowe books, which I don't think it goes very deep, and I don't think it's as interesting. I don't think he's nearly the writer that Hammett was, for instance. Um, I, I'm, I'm sort of… Uh, I mean, there was a weird English-American quality in Chandler. He'd spent many years in England. He and I went to the same school, in fact. No kidding. Yeah, and, and not at the same time. Right? No, I, 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 I can't. <laughs> um, but I agree with you. I think, I think that there are strict limits. Elroy is, uh, I don't know how to describe this. I mean, I've met him several times, and um, he can be a lot of fun in person. Uh, I, ca- I, I can't read him for more than about half an hour. It's a lot. It gets so claustrophobic. I have to sort of put it down. And he's the kind of writer that that. For for days and weeks afterwards, you'll be writing like him, whether you like it or not. You know, and I don't like it, so I don't want to do that. But 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 he's a he's a remarkable character. And and uh, I take him seriously, Uh, but.
0: uh, What's your favorite of him? of the of the both of them if you were to oh were I, to,
1: I mean probably the book of the big sleep the for Chandler um but I think it's partly because the movie's so I I came to the those great lines in the film before I came to them in the book and a, a lot of the very good lines between Bogart and Bacall in the film are in the book uh, the the film is not a complete translation uh the Acme Bookstore scene is much, much bigger and better in the film mm. than in the novel. Um, I, I don't know. Elroy, I'm not sure which books I would pick, but, but I have enormous admiration for what he's done.
0: I've read only White Noise, uh, White Jazz, or White Noise. The one yeah. with the some yeah. there's an Armenian character in it. So ah, Ar- Armenian. You know, yeah. The Armenian yeah. Uh, yeah. you know whatever. Yeah. Um, it's but it's also his most difficult to read. It's it's in the most Elroyish yeah. least in it. I, I mean
1: I th- one of the things that really interests me about Elroy is that I think at a certain point in life he decided he was crazy. And I think now he's not quite sure whether he is or whether he's acting crazy. Which is a fascinating Con- type. Yeah.
0: And very interesting I think. But Difficult to be with. What do you? Yeah. Well, no. He. I. As a character, he. I. I mean, I greatly admire him. Yeah. And everything. I admire his productivity. Yeah. And I. And I admire white. Jo- white jazz. White noise. Whatever the hell it was called. Yeah. I admire the commitment to the to the poetic bit that yeah. he's doing. Yeah. And I admire the the poetry of it. I admire the the. I think he means it. I mean, I think that he's putting his full heart and soul in what he's doing. Yeah. I'm less sure of Chamber's heart and soul being into what he's doing. I don't think there was no, no, no. no. There's this. I think I think Chandler wanted to be a
1: certain kind of English gentleman in La Jolla, and and uh, not a happy man at all. Sort of restricted his own energy in, in a lot of ways, but he he found that model, that character, and really never.
0: Up on it, you know. yeah. yeah, and then that's his invention—is that yeah. self-pitying, yeah, very Englishman very in La Jolla, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, pretending to be an American. Not an attractive mark. life, yeah. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. No. One one looks to one looks to emulate the the heroism of such characters without adopting the the the, the gloom. Yeah. that attends it. That's well put. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's I pop- I don't know if that's a... if that's a... No, I think that's true. thing, but... I like... I don't know if it's doable, but I like it. Yeah. 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 Because that is what I think, you know, at the nub, that's what excites people. Um, what excites people is this an, an idea of a character who's capable of remaining pure yeah. because he's tough. Yeah. And and it's a shitty world, but he's, t- he's tough, and with the... and because he has a good tongue... And yeah. he's able to amuse himself and others. That's right,
1: yes. Yeah. And because he can always wisecrack. They're always wisecrack. Yeah. That,
0: that sort of keeps him going. And, and, yeah. That's his ammunition yeah. and his fuel. Yeah. Um, yeah. The I second, think it's
1: interesting that, that Jay Giddis really breaks down in Chinatown. And it's inconceivable, really, that Malla would have ever broken down.
0: Right. Because if he breaks down, how where's the next novel coming? That's from? That's right. Yeah. It's going to yeah. come from Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. But then, so yeah. noir, we're, oh, we're yeah. yeah. that we're off the yeah. uh, the yeah. plantation. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, I'm I, I, the the ta, the 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 quest here is to. Noir is this, you know, a noir, the thing, another annoying thing about noir is that it's often depicted as some sort of um, real, like, you know, it's like the world as it really is. What's well, not? It's complete fabrication. Absolute dream world. It's, yeah. an, it's more than the Western. Yeah. See, I feel like the Western, yeah. the Western is a aspirational version of reality, really where any time at any, any one of us is capable is, is presented very frequently through life, not that infrequently, with an opportunity to become a Western hero in some that's moment. That's right. The Western is photographed in real space and real light. Real lights, right. And
1: film noir has very little to do with either of those no. things. No. <laughs> it's a studio yeah. genre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all on sets, and it's all artificial
0: light. Beautifully done, of course. Right. But, uh, yeah. But it's a, it's a it's a shadow show. Yeah. It's a, it's totally. it's the shadow. Totally. It's yeah. the radio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's and it's an, of course another difference is that noir's is standard standard is urban, um, and it's strangely also west though for the most part because there are New York New there's New York noir but more the most part. You're thinking L.A. and you're in San Francisco, maybe, with Waltese Falcon. That was San Francisco, right? Yes, yeah. Um, you know, you have, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of New York. I know, sorry, about numbers in New York. I don't know, there's a lot of New York. There's a lot of New York yeah. as well. I mean, New York's a perfect noir yeah. place, but for it's not all in New York. It's no. very largely in yeah. the West, too, yeah. which yeah. is an interesting, just, yeah. I don't know, it's an interesting fact, yeah. probably largely due to Raymond Chandler's influence.
1: yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. There was a book published a long
1: time ago called Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles, a photographic book that really was just an attempt to say that Los Angeles has always been a noir city and Chandler identified it, which there's a grain of truth in it, but as you know, LA is such a light city too
0: is never in those photographs. No, the likeness is something I I have yet to see anyone capture on the page, spiritually the spiritual likeness to match the other likeness. Yeah, uh, anyone other than Eve Babbitts. I don't know if you've read her. Oh yeah, I agree. Are you a fan? I agree. Yeah, I I only read it recently. Yeah. uh like a year ago, a year and a yeah. half ago, and I thought, yeah. wow. Yeah, talk about,
1: yeah, talk about just, it's interesting you name her because I think there are times when Didion gets it too and I wonder if it's
0: something that women get more than men I don't know it she does Didion does get it in moments and then there are other moments where Didion's playing to New York and turning it into cobwebs and I think that it was it's I mean the Didion Eve thing is so is a fascinating time will
1: come not too far ahead when in is revealed not in an
0: unkind way That's one of our great fakes <laughs> <laughs> that time is not I don't think that's too far ahead either I yeah. think it's, that, it's that, knocking because they're forcing that they're, they're the this the, the Netflix legacy machine that has turned her into this grandma mourner of America I know, I know. has absolutely forced a reckoning to I know, deny. I know. And I might be the one I might be one of the people pushing that reckoning. She's so much more interesting than that. Oh, yeah. she is. I uh, mean yeah. I mean to me the first two, the cell the Slouchy and white album yeah. are the ones. Yeah. But I like great books,
1: yeah. Um, yeah,
0: she yeah, she she definitely sees it in moments. I mean women there there are several things women are able to see that uh, that the dudes yeah. struggle with. Yeah. And yeah. Eve I mean, she lived it. Yeah. And she, but, but beyond more impressive than living it was faithfully capturing it yeah. on the page. Yeah. In slow train, fast company. Well, start, I think... Whatever,
1: slow I, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I think that uh, Lily Amelick's book... Oh, yes. Uh, much better book than it was reviewed as.
0: It was, I didn't read the reviews. Lily's, a, it, Lily's become a friend, so I'm be- good, I love her book. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the book a lot. Yeah, I, and I'm excited to see what she's unearthed. Uh, she's found new stuff from Eve, and she's going to write. She's been telling me she's oh, good. Uh, good. write a piece about some new papers that been, that, have, that weren't available Great. last time. Right. Good. Yeah. I'm. I mean, you know, for as a LA myth myth uh, myth machine, it's she's a very important character who needs to kind of be upgraded. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but we were talking about the likeness that's not there in new Art that of LA. Yeah. It is a new. I I have been dealing with this question of what is it about LA. That is the noir. That that it does make sense. I think it's a lot, a largely a matter of loneliness. Yeah. Which is not the case in New York City. No. I don't think New York City is a lonely place. It's lonely in certain ways, but they're not not in ways that are that are felt day to day, minute to minute. There's yeah. a certain grander loneliness. Well, it,
1: it, it, it's the, it's the loneliness of being in your car, and I mean that's something Dillian got wonderfully. Yeah. That that. Everyone's driving around in a prison cell, which is their automobile, and, and no one really drives in New York. Right. No. You know, the subway is, is is a is an incredibly lively democratizing instrument. I think. Yeah.
0: But it's a, there. There is a uh, there is a, a much that is lost in this not driving as well which yeah. i think brings you know uh, uh, connects to what you were saying about the west there's a there's a young people are are driving less and less and less and there's the day is 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 visible that driving will no longer be something people do i know
1: that's going to be an incredible
0: assault on male ego it already is i mean really yeah uh, uh, there's already let, let's just say the correlation between dr- uh people who don't drive and people who don't stick to the gender they were born at. Is very strong. Is that? That's oh, yes. interesting. Yes, that's interesting. <laughs> very yeah. strong. Yeah. Um, well, you know, because um, if you need to operate and pay for a car, you don't want to give up your masculine, you know, all of your masculinity. It's just very. No. It's just. It goes hand in hand. Yeah. In it.
1: And you know, driving, driving is a is a contest. You
0: know. It is a contest. It brings out the brutalists. My grandfather, who is a, in many ways a vi- gold visionary, um, an immigrant, of course, um, he, he was a very competitive driver yeah. <laughs> at all t- every moment, level, yeah. <laughs> never yeah. a dull stop sign, yeah. or somebody could get, anyone who crosses in front of him is out to get him, Yeah. Uh, like, nonstop, that was his mode. Well,
1: my wife, who, who is a female, obviously... Uh, <laughs> And she's basically a very sweet, cheerful person. She turns into a demon. <laughs> it's amazing.
0: It's great. Amazing. It's scary when you're a kid, but yeah. then when you realize, oh, wait, what happens if no one ever drives again? Yeah. Now it's oh, oh, oh. Like something to cherish. It's going to be a nightmare. I am now, you know, it's, yeah, it's, this is, goes, this goes into how you find the, yeah the light in the, in the darkness. It is lonely because of the cars yeah. and the space. Yeah, the general sense that this is yeah. a place where, oh, yeah. yeah, you're not. This is a LA is a place where, uh, you know, coincidence isn't happening on like isn't some isn't carry You can't just drift on coincidence. You can't just. I'm trying to be more articulate. It's not a. Pl- it's a place where you really need to take a lead role in your life, uh-huh. or you disappear. Uh huh. And in New yeah. York, you can just exist. You can yes. just be the guy on the street, the little weirdo who's yes. whatever, and you, you'll be somebody. Yes. doesn't matter how much successful you are. Well, that's, I mean, that certainly fits with what I was talking
1: about earlier because when I, when I went to New York and Boston and places like that, I, I absolutely knew where I was because they were versions of London. I don't think they're the same as LA. Right, but, but yeah, versions. versions. Certain, you? You, you come to LA and you're somewhere else. Yeah. It's a different game altogether. Different rules, and um, I know a lot of people,
0: East Coast people, despise LA. But uh, I've always loved it. It's a different. It's so different that to this day the those rules and that difference has not been. Cle- captured in in a clear way for anyone to understand yeah. comprehensively. It's escaped. You understood. That's my it's my job. <laughs> thank, you. thank you for thank you for yeah. um, thank you for agreeing with that with this task because I do feel like it's an important one. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the I think one I think a clue to 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 it is that it, to, to 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 fit in L A or to last in L A you need to have a little go across. There needs to be not not you know not speaking very spiritually. There needs to be a sense of um, at least at least making the claim. You know, take it there. It is to your own life. Yeah, because it's well, not going to just happen for you.
1: That's one of the reasons that the studio system was so profound. Because the studio system was a business structure, but it was a kind of it was a social managerial model for making LA work. And the extent to which the studios were in cahoots with the DA's office and and with the cops, very important part of how LA becomes a big city, a real metropolis, you know. And and it's, it's sort of like the English shaping India, over a long period, <laughs> the film studios
0: shaped LA right as a as an organization. Yeah, it's a studio. T- Babbitts has that line that I can't remember right now, where she describes it as a studio town. Yeah, and it's it's true, and of course the studios gave gave the kind of structure and order that is especially hard to achieve without the studios in LA. Yeah. That's the thing that it's so yeah. cher- that's the thing that people really miss about the studios. Yeah, they don't go know they miss. Yeah. It's not yeah. even it's not about did they make better movies did they make it's not even about that. It gave a structure yeah. to the madness of living in LA yeah. that is without without which it's truly a wilder madness. I well,
1: mean, I I'll tell you a story about that. A few years ago um, in the Jewish live series, I did a book about Warner Brothers. And uh, I was invited to go down to, I guess it was the Burbank, is the Burbank Library, could that be? I don't know. To some institutional place mm. in Burbank to talk about the book. And the crowd that came was huge. And I said, so who are all these really? people? Really? Yes. And do you know what it was? they were people who still worked for Warner Brothers or whose parents or whose grandparents right. had worked for Warner Brothers and they all lived in Burbank still. And you suddenly had the feeling of a cottage industry which barely existed still because yeah. Warner Brothers had become something quite different. Right. But these people were happily living in that past and, and, and they loved to meet other people who were like them and tell stories about the 40s and all that kind of yeah. you know
0: burbank is an underrated place i've come to realize cuz i go there frequently for certain reasons these days yeah. and um it's, I mean, it's always been you know clean and nice and everything but there's there is a certain uh there is a, a certain studio shadow to burbank yeah that exists to this day yeah. even if yeah and there are people you meet often who are from you know, often when you do meet a, a native Angelino, which is rare, uh, there is often a connection to Burbank. Somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Rare. Well, for, for people of that kind who are not that well off, it's a it's a livable place. Oh yeah, absolutely. Whereas you go over the hill and and
0: you no, can't afford it. No, you're competing. you, know, with, you are, you yeah. competing with uh, you know Mah, with the Maharaji yeah. and whatever. Yeah, right, so, right. Uh, over yeah. the hill. Yeah. yeah. And, and that studio t- I mean the thing about movies that the, about making a movie that I uh, my uh, uh, l- little heart most was touched by was the was the way in which a mini city forms which is your crew and your act and every yeah. cast and everyone and your location especially if you have just one location which I did um, for the most part and the way that lives, everything and everyone is so purposeful in this city, yeah. unlike American life or any life today, I think everyone is. It's all hands on deck. Yeah. You know, there's a few. Of course, there's going to be a few idiots that need to get fired. So <laughs> there's going to be a few bad apples. But for the but every every ha- and they're and whether they're sewing costumes or whether they're building sets or whether they're uh, rehearsing lines or whether they're doing the craft services, whether they're uh, 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 doing the lighting putting the laying the wood laying the dance floor as they call it for the dolly shot and all that shit there's this this sense and so this is how civilization at its root just operates Yeah. you know when people and and everyone is I mean there's something so romantic about it and so touching and then so brutal when it's all scrapped and none of these people ever see each other again unless it's on another side that's (laughs) right yeah yeah. 20 days or whatever. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like location love affairs, you know. Yeah, there's that too. Set crushes. Yeah. Up and down. And yeah. as you write in all of these books, it's so I mean it's it's not unnatural for there to be an affair between a director and the lead. It's the most natural the thing most in the universe of all time. Line. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Indeed.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about more of the scene in the book. Yeah. You, you decide, at what point does it come into your mind to choose George Bailey as your narrator, as the, the man who's... Um,
1: as I remember, I had that idea early, partly because I remember getting into several conversations when I came to America about It's a Wonderful Life, uh, in the course of which I would invariably say, well, of course, It's a Wonderful Life is a glorious, happy Christmas film, but in the middle, it's a film noir. Yeah. And people would look at me as if to say, what do you mean? It's our adored, adorable, regular Christmas occupation. And I just felt that, that it was a it was a more complicated film and a very dark film for part of the time. And you know, he has that quality James Stewart always had of being a very good guy who was on the brink of breaking down. There's a, the, there's a kind of nervous panicky edge to him. You vertigo right, is the key moment for it obviously, but it's there in many other films. If Mister. Smith goes to Washington when he gets exhausted speaking, he's a nervous wreck, and Stewart did that very well, and so I, I I thought that's why he is the natural central figure for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. He also does. You know, it's almost like a. It's almost like the steward who's writing this book is the steward in Anatomy of a Murder. Um, oh that's interesting in a way because he's that, that's the steward who's kind of older yeah knows he know he knows his limit he knows the game better and he yeah. knows how to use it for you know I, I hadn't or, thought of that that's very interesting I mean I just thought yeah. of it right now That it, yeah. no, no, no no
1: that's good I like it yeah uh, and and um I I just this week I've been writing about Stewart a bit for another book and and He's a really fascinating person. Uh, a, v- a very important American actor, I think.
0: Uh, is it a book about Stuart in entire? No, 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 no. Stuart's just—he's um, a
1: small part of it. But yeah. I was writing about his bit this week.
0: Yeah, I need to. I need to. I mean, I've I've seen so many. I love so many of his movies, and I I don't know it very much about his life. And it seems like it's someone to, yeah, plumb and, a little bit. Yeah. He's a, so he's he's you know he's your stand in here. It feels like what he's doing as George Bailey is, you know, plot aside the, the plot you develop aside his actual there's a plot which we don't need to unravel specifically of how he how his life continued after it's a wonderful life. Yes. Um, but more to the as a narrator, he seems to be. Almost, because um, George Bailey is in the, exists in the popular imagination as the perfect American, small-town yeah. American hero.
1: Yeah, and the perfect father. The perfect father. Whereas in this book, of course, his children turn out far worse. And they don't talk to him even. No, than he would have thought. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Which is not an uncommon thing that for, for when you look at perfect fathers you know I mean it's not uncommon to find people you would have thought are perfect fathers who have children who hate them for some reason kids
1: can't stand perfect fathers <laughs>
0: <laughs> they'll get them you know
1: I mean really it's 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 a huge unfairness uh, to be a perfect parent and, and uh, you must expect the worst
0: yeah. I hope you haven't gotten that such such things but, I hope I haven't too <laughs> but, but, but but no I mean no, it's a I'm, rough thing I mean, what I'm
1: saying is that there's an elemental force in children, and it's a healthy and a good and a positive thing, whereby they have to sort of overthrow their parents. Rebel. They yeah. have to rebel. Uh, they, they have to. Yeah. You know, and 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 if 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 they don't do it themselves, and I hope they do it in a decent way, because there are decent ways of doing it. Right. You make your own life. But if you don't do it, then death will do it for you. Right.
0: Then that that's always a crush. Yeah. And you know,
1: most people would say, I think, when their parents die, Oh, I wish I had said this or that to them. You know, of course, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's um it's an art to or it's a or it's a fortune or whatever it is to do it. And I admire everyone I've known who's done who's done it. There are moments where you're gonna have to disappoint your parents. That's right. Yeah. Period.
1: And and contradict
0: them and yeah. and, and deny them, you they know that
1: them. sort of thing. Yeah, it it it's uh, as I say. I think it can be healthy and positive and full of good energy, you know. And, well, whether it is or isn't, and,
0: and comedy too. Well, cause comedy because there's great comedy in it. Yeah, there's great comedy. Yeah. in it. the 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 thing to me isn't even so much how how decently it's, the deed is done whatever that is whenever the the, the whenever the crossroads is, is arrived at how it's crossed but so but more how long far do you travel down your own road before yeah. you remember yeah that oh I, you better cherish what you what the the folks yeah. back at the crossroads because when they're gone it's gonna haunt the fuck out of you if you've left anything un, undone so the, the sooner you can just s- return Probably. I guess yeah
1: and i think in all child parent relationships there is there is a, a wistfulness that sometimes can be tragic it, it it's always going to be a double edged
0: thing it should be it should be the, i think i think the the number the the big key that and i'm talking out of my ass because i only have one side of it i don't have the i'm not i'm not a father sadly but i have the i have, I have a son i <laughs> can't help being a son um uh and I can observe other relationships. Obviously, um, it's my job, and to observe and to have the two pairs of working eyes. And it's it seems like um, I lost my train of thought. But um, it seems like. Is it? This is this is like the, I've been new nu- I've been muted somehow by uh, whatever I was about to say. this maybe I made. should you <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe maybe that'll unlock. Un- that yeah, maybe it'll we'll unlock. <laughs> 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 on. I have to think. What the hell? I And a very specific. Fact. Yeah, yeah, just I'm just gonna find it in the air. Yeah, with, with, with words.
1: Will red wine suit you?
0: Absolutely. the next Filthy Armenian Adventure. If you haven't picked it up already, Alec is Armenian. Oh, I have This episode of Filthy Armenian Adventures was recorded in a townhouse in San Francisco, California. Opening written and voiced by your host, Alec Mohiby. Supported entirely by patrons on Patreon. Subscribe now at patreoncom filthyarmenian to get access to twice as many adventures and join the Enlightened Society of Rug Merchants, Cigar Singers, and Oligarchs of the Night. Who keep the lights on at Filthy Armenian Adventureland. Spread the word to your friends and enemies. Leave a rating and review wherever you listen. Follow us on social media at Filthy Armenian. So long, Chief. Thank you for writing and to be continued.